Hello and welcome to episode 33 of the Sustainable E-Commerce Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build your brand for a healthier planet. As always, I'm your host, Giles Smith. Now, sustainability and ethical supply are two very different topics, yet at the same time, it's hard to imagine being one without also doing the other. Some organizations take their purpose to a whole new level where they're thinking about sustainability, but the core of their business is founded as a social enterprise designed from the very ground up to lift the living conditions of the people in their supply chain. My guests today are two remarkable women, Jessica and Hannah from Earthworthy, a really beautiful social enterprise bringing jute homewares to Australia and supporting the lives of female artisans from Bangladesh who were injured in a factory collapse. We chat about sourcing in Bangladesh, what a remarkable fibre jute is, how business buying is rapidly shifting towards sustainable and ethical supply, and best news of all, how you can work with Earthworthy to include their products in your brand offering under white label arrangements. So with that, let's start the show. Jess and Hannah, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. It is really fun to have you guys here. I first heard about Earthworthy, I don't know, a few months ago now, I suppose, um, when you guys, uh, I heard you guys are working with one of my clients, uh, doing a bit of white labeling for what you do. But we'll get into that towards the end of the episode. What I'd love to do first is to get you guys to introduce yourselves and talk about why you guys started up Earthworthy and what it does. Thank you. Well, yeah, I'm Jess. I'm the original founder of Earthworthy. Um, my background is in international development and working with not-for-profits, but I've also uh, worked with corporates for a few years as well. So I'm really passionate about people on the planet and making sure we do business in a way that uh, is both sustainable and ethical. Yeah, always had a bit of an inkling towards starting my own business. So back in 2018, when the plastic bag ban happened in New South Wales in major supermarkets, um, when we were moving away from those lightweight plastic bags, I thought that was the perfect opportunity to bring one of the most sustainable fibres on the planet um, to Australia in a much more significant way, and that's jute. So working with jute fibres to make shopping bags is where it all began. So I came to Earthworthy probably about six months ago now. Uh, unlike Jess, never had an inkling to start my own business. Um, I worked in international development as well in uh, managing institutes, working in knowledge exchange. And so was really inspired by the work that Jess was done and the enthusiasm she has for her work. Um, and so we got chatting at the beginning of 2022 and I joined her and we've tried to take this thing to the next level and it's so far going really well. Hannah has a really strong operations background which balances out my ideas and always sort of moving <laughs> forward and maybe not finishing things off so it's a nice balance and yeah just to speaking to a bit more of how Earthworthy came to be I had actually been working in Bangladesh in environmental advocacy and so it really was just one of those opportune times where all the stars aligned and everything sort of came together. I thought, I've got these relationships in Bangladesh. I can explore those further to find um, manufacturing for bags. Um, it feels like the time's right in Australia as 
we continue to build momentum around um, stronger outcomes around sustainability and ethics and also provide people just with a really beautiful, practical, useful product that yeah. won't harm the earth and that, yeah, is compostable at the end of its life. So it sort of leaves no trace at its very long and useful life. So is your, is your mission really just to replace kind of the petroleum-based fabrics uh, that we use for things like shopping bags. And I know you've got some kit cushions and throws and other bits and pieces in there. Is that kind of the core of the of the mission? Or can you tell us more about what the big picture really is for your business in terms of its mission? Yeah, well, there's nothing like um, a global pandemic to sort of send things into a spin. So Earthworthy was conceived not long before we all entered um, our first lockdown. So yeah, this plastic bag ban happened in 2018. I got back to Bangladesh in 2019. And then March 2020, when our first lockdown in Australia began, that is when my first shipment of bags arrived. The actual original intention of Earthworthy was to be a social enterprise here, in, and we are a social enterprise, but to have social outcomes both in Australia and in Bangladesh. So in Bangladesh, we work with an amazing group of women who actually survived a garment factory collapse. So it was called the Rana Plaza garment factory collapse. It happened in 2013, and it was horrific. It killed over a 1,000 people and injured over 3,000. So we met a wonderful organisation called Nirban, which means freedom, who employ women who survived this accident. So they are a relatively new organisation, so we're sort of supporting them and helping them grow as well. But we're able to work with a really sustainable product and create employment opportunities in a safe and fair working place for these women, which shouldn't be a novel idea, but unfortunately, sometimes it is. Um, and then in Australia, we have the idea of doing something similar to The Big Issue magazine, which do you know The Big Issue magazine, Jal? Yeah, I do. Uh, yeah, I, I, I remember many times, you know, um, growing up in England, as I did, you know, going through the tube systems and and people offering big issues for sale. So yeah, very familiar with that. But maybe talk to some because not not maybe everyone will be familiar with it. So please do talk about that. Yeah. So basically, people who may be at risk of homelessness or um, are homeless sell a magazine out on the street and keep half the sale price. It's a really simple concept. Um, allows them to have a bit of money in their pocket and also that social interaction. And we thought, why not do the same thing with bags? So um, people could sell jute bags, jute-based bags that are completely plastic-free at the front of supermarkets and keep half the sale price. And it's people that might be um, find it difficult to enter mainstream employment or want that social connection. It could be local charity partners. There were just a few different options there. But this was all just before COVID hit. So all of a sudden that concept of selling bags at the front of supermarkets was not really suited to our current times when any sort of contact with each other was... Um, highly discouraged i can imagine that put a bit of a dampener on that particular approach yeah i can see that <laughs> so have, you, have you been able to get back to it is that something you're still focused on doing and reintroducing as, a, as an idea yeah it's definitely something we want to keep exploring and we do still see an opportunity there but what covid did give us was an opportunity to work on our supply chains and really um build robust and solid supply chains with our makers in bangladesh because that is a very big project and it allowed us to ensure that we can um, realise these sustainable and ethical outcomes in our supply chain, which, which is a big job in itself. So I did say when I started this, I just, I don't want to be some person selling bags and that's kind of what I am now. We have an online um, homewares store and we're also now doing a lot of partnerships with corporates as well, which is fantastic. But yeah, as we um, grow those supply chains and 
grow the business over the next year or so. would love to re-explore that big issue model. Be interesting to see how that uh, sort of unfolds. But I'd like to dive in a bit deeper into your supply chain and that sort of stuff, because what you're doing with the the social part of the enterprise is really, really interesting with the, you know, the team over in, in Bangladesh. And, and, you know, often the word sustainable and ethical are used kind of interchangeably. They're kind of not in a way. They, they certainly need to be used together, but they're not the same thing. And 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 it, I'm interested because it's hard enough to source products from um, certainly parts of the third world where you can guarantee that they are in fact sustainably grown, sustainably sourced, and sustainably made, as well as then mm-hmm. the ethical side of what you're doing. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you're doing to make sure all that is as it appears to be? And, you know, like, how are you managing that process from from certainly from afar and certainly through COVID where you presumably couldn't go and check it out? Yeah, it's definitely been a challenge. As I mentioned earlier, I'm really lucky that I had had some time living and working in Bangladesh. So I did have some relationships that I had already established. So, but I didn't have a manufacturer of bags when I started this process. So when I went back over to Bangladesh in 2019, I really did want to reach out to organizations that I thought were doing things well. Bangladesh is actually has some of the biggest social enterprises on the planet, which is pretty cool. So one of the largest not-for-profits is BRAC, and it's a not-for-profit that started in Bangladesh and is now a global organisation, and they have a really large social enterprise. So I started by reaching out to their um, exports team to see if we could work together. And also another jute manufacturer who I knew did a lot of work for organisations like the UN, who I would assume were choosing, you know, more ethical and sustainable options for their manufacturing. So that kind of led me down some positive paths and it was just word of mouth and having conversations with people to lead me to the organisations I'm working with now. Um, There's a few more we're also now in discussion with who partner primarily with other NGOs. So it's really exciting that once you start that process, you can get in contact with more organisations and um, expand your impact, but also it's important from a business perspective to have different options and not rely on um, one supplier because you never know what can happen and that could get you into trouble. Um, But yeah, lots of WhatsApping because I met with these organisations for a few days back in 2019 and I wasn't able to see them again until a few months ago when I got back to Bangladesh post-COVID so um, or when borders are opened up. So it yeah, it was definitely challenging and we're working with quite small um, more informal organisations. So it's not as simple as, you know, saying, show me your certifications, let's go. Um, they're not at that stage yet. So um, it's, yeah, lots of conversations, lots of just asking questions, just constantly checking in um, trying and working as a partnership. So not just saying I need this and I need it now and mm. I won't pay you till it's done, but how can we help you support your workers? So we yeah. pay 50% upfront. We yeah ask about timeframes and factor in, you know, a bit of a buffer. So to try and sort of manage expectations and pressure as much as we can, it's not easy and it doesn't always work. And um, mm. especially with shipping, there's, it's been so difficult because you have so many delays that yeah happen in between the making of a product and receiving it in Australia. But uh, yeah, we do our best and we stay in close contact with our um, organisations that we're working with. Yeah, we might come back to shipping in a minute because I think it's been a, a bane of almost everyone for the past 18 months, hasn't it? But I, I've personally never um, sourced anything from Bangladesh before. What What's it like to 
interact with businesses there is it is it somewhere where you can easily find and interact with the the manufacturers themselves or do you have to go through a third party is there lots of red tape involved how does that all work um yeah again having lived over there i am able to work direct with the organizations that we're working with which is a huge benefit it's not necessarily the red tape that's a challenge over there it's that it's not as formalized as say somewhere like china yeah and i guess in terms of efficiency and reliability trying to kind of have it down pat and they've really refined their systems there's lots of third-party websites you can go to to source um, goods and um, they're very well versed in the export market and working with foreigners so it's yeah a much smoother process bangladesh though is changing rapidly they their ready-made garment industry is huge and they service all the big brands around the world so there's huge capability there it's a country that one of the least developed countries in the world um so there is huge amounts of poverty there but they also Mm. have massive growth in their economy so yeah hopefully millions and millions of people will be lifted out of poverty in the coming years, which is really exciting. But they're also a country that's hugely impacted by climate change and is one of the most vulnerable countries to climate change on the planet. They are a country, the land size, say two thirds of Victoria, but they have 170 million people living on that land. And a lot of it is waterways. So mm. there's lots of flooding, lots of yeah major weather events um, and lots of people. So they're all very well aware of climate change and wanting to do things yeah that don't cause harm to the planet as well you touched on it being low lying and, and lots of waterways and I, and I guess that leads us nicely on to um talking about jute because that's kind of where it grows right so t- tell us a little about jute why is it such an awesome material what's why is it so sustainable and how's it made and all the good stuff that we need to know about jute yes so i absolutely love jute and it's um probably one of the most sustainable plant fibers on the planet it grows prolifically in Bangladesh so it needs very little input of um, chemicals or pesticides it has a really short um, growing cycle so say about 12 weeks and it actually leaves the soil richer than um, before it was before it's grown or planted so when it's harvested you've actually added nutrients to the soil which not many crops can say that so it's a pretty impressive material but it has Um, seen a decline, say, in the last 50 or so years since the introduction of poly products and a lot of factory high production automation of plastic materials. So jute was referred to the golden fibre in Bangladesh because it really was that important and valuable to their economy. Um, And there were huge number of hundreds of jute mills that employed millions of workers around the country. And a lot of those um, mills have seen a decline clan in the last few decades probably most people would know jute from say a hessian bag or a coffee sack that what jute is in probably one of its rawer forms but you can have more refined and higher end materials from jute yeah so there's as we all are becoming more aware of alternatives to plastic and that plastic is not such a good thing it can't be infinitely recycled there's always going to be a waste product that is going to stay on this earth turning to micro plastics and our food and um, waterways so yeah why create something new when we've already got this incredible material here um, that can yeah, employ people um, lift people out of poverty and do, do that in a way that also cares for 
and protects the earth. Yeah, it's a, it's it very very interesting, isn't it? Isn't it fascinating how, you know, these newfangled sustainable fibers are actually all the old stuff that you know was used historically, and we're going back to the new is now back going back to the old again. It's 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 sort of fascinating how full circle we're coming on the whole thing in in so many ways so i guess you know having um what, what is good for i mean obviously you described it as being hessian sacks and that kind of tough really robust fiber stuff like what's good to make out of jute yeah so it's probably not great for something like clothing because it is a bit raw and rough on the clothes but for say packaging bags just sort of yeah everyday products it's a really strong useful fiber it is naturally antibacterial it can absorb moisture so you do have to be careful with that but um even things like it's got lots of applications in gardens but yeah what is probably most used for at the moment and what we're using it for because it's just really appropriate really well suited is bags Mm -hmm. um whether it be shopping bags or beach bags we do a sort of cotton blend that makes a nicer more refined fiber shall we say we call it a jute linen but um yeah lots of applications for really practical useful bags there's also a lot of applications in building and construction so we were discussing the other day there's the ability to create scrim that goes on building site fences or or festival fences um, out of jute and also some fibers um, insulation type fibers as well i think there's a lot being um, explored and and um uncovered about what we can do that's fascinating isn't it because from a, a perspective of trying to get maximum replacement of plastics in the world using those kind of large-scale applications is really interesting uh so i think that's that's definitely something that'd be worth pursuing so that that, that's fascinating there what uh, you mentioned a minute ago about the recyclability of plastics and that's you know i think a problem that most consumers aren't aware of what about jute though is that a recyclable material or is it is it just you know you use it once and then you compost it yeah so it's a compostable material and it's a home compostable material so Recycling should always be a last resort. So it's not, um, it's probably something that's been drilled into us here in Australia to recycle things, which is great. It is an important part of the waste cycle, but what we really want is a circular cycle of product use. So when we create something, we want to think all the way through to the end of its life and what's going to happen to it. And is it causing harm or can it have never existed or be turned into something else so when it comes to jute products they can compost back into the earth but yeah that's right at the very end of a long life of that product so if it's a bag we want it to be used as long as possible and then say it's just falling to bits it can't be used anymore it could work as a mat on your worm farm or as a weed mat to prevent weeds coming up in your garden. Um, So rather than just burying it in the ground and forgetting it, there's always another application that um, that material can be used for. But it will compost down um, and go back to the earth, which is fantastic. It doesn't leave any trace like those plastic products will. Yeah, I love the thinking of that. So thanks. Thanks for sharing those thoughts. Now, obviously, you've been going a couple of years. What's working for you in terms of how you're growing your business? Like, what are your core strategies that you're using that's actually bearing some fruit in terms of, you know, getting more customers, getting more revenue? Yeah, it's um, definitely been a challenge starting a business over COVID. And it has, it did force us online and to set up an online store very quickly. As I mentioned, we did become an online homeware store, which was not the original intention. And now we have a range of earthworthy products, which is actually pretty cool and pretty exciting. Um, 
But yeah, probably a big part has been partnerships and collaborations. We are self-funded, so we don't have big marketing budgets. We don't have lots of inputs, external inputs from investors or anything like that. So we've just really had to be smart about where we spend our dollars and we've prioritised always paying and ensuring our um, makers are paid um, for their work first. So yeah, lots of partnerships and people really resonate with our story and what we're all about. So we do say we're not selling bads, but we're selling social impact and the difference that each and every one of us can make. Um, so we've just, yeah, really been blown away by how many people genuinely um, want to get behind choosing ethical and sustainable options for their business. So would you say uh, at this point and, and you know, for the foreseeable future, Earthworthy is more kind of uh, B2B with partnerships than it is business to consumer? Is that is that fair? Yeah, so... Um, Again, having limited resources, you kind of have to choose a direction to go in. So we did start B2C with the online store. Um, and then we started to explore wholesale options and also custom orders, say, for corporates or events and things like that. So our wholesale and in particular our custom orders is where we really want to focus our energy for the coming financial year, for the next 12 months. We just, yeah, see that as a good way to grow the business sustainably. Um, it works well with our supply chains and it also allows us to just value add to other businesses and take them on that sustainability and ethical journey with us. So yeah. we were just trying to put people on the planet first. I think that's probably the biggest thing that we've seen recently is obviously our, our um, retail customers' feedback to us that the products are um, make them feel good and they can talk about the product with their friends and family and feel good about the story behind mm. it. But there's a real push in, in business to move to more sustainable product sourcing and certainly in the, in the partnerships that we've had to date, there's a real enthusiasm for our product and our story to be part of um, businesses, corporate social responsibility stories or um, uh, yeah, general marketing activity. Yeah, I would say from a, you know, from a corporate purchasing point of view, you guys probably tick every single box on someone's wish list, right? You're sustainable, social enterprise driven, female founders, ba- made here, based in here in Australia. Uh, uh, you know, what else? What else? They wouldn't have any <laughs> other boxes to tick, I don't think, at this point. So, um, so, you know, so that makes absolute sense. It makes absolute sense. But so now is probably a good time then to talk about this white labeling that you do offer because that's how I became familiar with your with your brand. So tell tell us a little bit about that. What can you do? What are your capabilities? How do you work with people? Yeah, so um, we were put in touch with you through the awesome women at the Candle Exchange. So we actually did some custom pouches for them for their um, returnable candles. So um, they wanted reusable packaging for their candles because the idea of their candles is that you can swap it for a new one in store or um, yeah after you run out so that was we actually met them at a trade show which is one of the ways we've met our customers and that's we actually did a custom size pouch for them we can offer both to companies so whether it's packaging or bags for an event you can take earthworthy bags as they are if you need them quick we can customize our current range um, of bags so we're happy to what would call white labeling so we have one of our most popular bags is the hauler bag. It's um, a large sort of beach overnight bag. And for gifts, save corporate gifts, we just did an order for a real estate agent who will be um, giving these hauler bags at 
Christmas time and we just changed the label to their label rather than the Earthworthy label on the bag. And then on the inside, it explains the difference that the bag makes and the impact through Earthworthy. So that's what we'd call our white labeling range. And then we can also then customize a range of products all made from jute. But yeah, we've got a few different applications of jute as well at different price points and um, yeah, for different types of customers so i suppose um i'm I'm guessing that there's uh you know different lead times for different sorts of things in here just thinking about you know the different ways that people might want to engage with you i mean if they want to make and i think we discussed this the other day if they want to make a a duffel bag um that they brand themselves made out of jute which is not something you currently carry what does the what does that process look like for you guys you know how long how long will people need in lead times what what does the engagement look like you know, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, if it's a brand new product, there's definitely a longer lead time. So we need to um, obviously do design the product with them and it depends when they come in. So you'd need a good six months, sort of, I would say minimum to create a new product, but it's certainly something we can do with people um, all the way up to just grabbing our bags off the shelf and having them, you know, next day or let's say a couple of days with Australia Post at the moment. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so there's, Yeah, all levels of partnership, but we're excited that we can sort of have alternatives for people if they do have tight lead times, there are workarounds and yeah, they can show their customers or their community that they're making a real tangible difference with a product in someone's hand, which is pretty cool. There are also, I guess it's worth saying for the current range we have, there are slight modifications we can do for bags that have a pocket on the outside. We can remove the pocket very easily and all of the printing of the logos or the the branding that um, the customer wants on the bag is done in Bangladesh. Um, it can be either done on a, a, a patch like the Earthworthy one is or done directly onto the bag. And there's a number of examples of that on our website, on our custom page on the website. Yeah. Okay. So it, literally everything is done in Bangladesh and then you receive the finished goods basically here in Australia. Yeah. Because that's, yeah, that's a big outcome of what we're doing. We want to create as many employment opportunities as possible. So at the moment we do every element of the bag in Bangladesh and we're really proud of the quality that um, our makers are producing as well. And mm. yeah, we've done some really beautiful bags with customers, like all four color printing and some really great things and the quality has just been exceptional. Talking of printing, is it typical screen printing stuff? So we're talking about quite large quantities, minimum quantities, or, or what? what is your MOQ for doing, let's say, custom orders or custom prints? We do everything by hand. So everything right. is handmade, um, even down to the tags that you'll see on an Earthworthy bag. They've all been hand printed, um, which is pretty special. I don't think many businesses can say that anymore. And we, it also allows us to do smaller minimum orders because we do, we're working with craftspeople really. So we say our minimums are from 250, but we love working with small business. So we have been very flexible and we do do our minimums from 50 pieces for our higher end product. Yeah, from 250 is probably the most cost effective um, number to start with for the customer as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you know, there are, there are economies of scale even when you're doing things by hand, isn't there? Yeah. Um, so that that 100% makes sense. So um, what is next for Earthworthy? You've obviously had a turbulent couple of years, uh, reinvented yourself a couple of times by the sounds of it in that from what you'd intended to do. So what's next on the, on, on the horizon for the next couple of years, do you think? Yeah, we actually need to... Um strip back a little bit so (laughs) that's why Hannah's come in the last couple of months and it's been great to have um, someone to work with and throw ideas around and just be really intentional about the direction we're going so I did find running a business through COVID that you constantly adjusting and pivoting and changing that 
um, you do lose that focus a little bit. So we're actually reducing our product range. We were working with another um, organization in Bangladesh and bringing in, let's say, some recycle, upcycled products of sari cloth and different things. So we're removing that from our range. There's a lot of wonderful organizations that already do that in Australia and really focusing on jute and our handloom products. So we haven't touched much on our handloom today, but that's working with rural artisans. So similar to what we said before about, you know, there's often we don't need a new solution. There's already ones out there. Handloom products are one of those where they're done in rural Bangladesh. They don't use any electricity. They're using looms that are, you know, hundred years old that are still working effectively and we can create these beautiful pieces that are made with love and that people will have for years to come or potentially you know pass down to family members and have products that they hold on to so we're mainly doing blankets but present them as really versatile for beach um, bed whatever it may be so yeah just sort of focusing on those two product ranges our jute bags and our hand loom products and really focusing on our business and corporate partnerships for those um, to and build our presence. We're a very sm relatively small organization. People don't know we exist, but they're really excited when they find us and get to know us. So really just got to get ourselves out there. So it's great to um, do the podcast with you today, but just, yeah, get the word out on all the awesome things that we're able to do for business. Awesome. It's a pleasure. Hannah, you, you want to jump in? Well, I was just going to say, I think it's fair to say that the, the big issue model, the dream, the original plan is still there. And um, certainly the intention behind focusing on um, B2B and corporate orders and increasing our capacity in that sense is to really stabilise the business and be able to then move into that real social engagement model in Australia. And I think both of us have worked in, in the NGO sector and development sector for a while and see the importance of having a really solid base to start projects that are working with people who are more vulnerable mm. in society. And so the intention behind building our um, business is to then be able to move into that social engagement activity in Australia. Um, we don't have big plans to live in Tahiti <laughs> um, and, and are really driven by, by a vision to um, do as much good as we can. From, from what little I understand of how those uh, engagements work, I, I do think there's a huge opportunity for it here in Australia. I don't think anyone's necessarily capitalized, if, the, if that's the right word, used that opportunity as well as they could have done. Yeah. So I definitely think it's, it's something you guys should pursue. I think it's quite exciting uh, conceptually. So, so I love the way you're thinking about that. So where can people get hold of you? How can they start working with you? Where do they go? Jump onto our website. So it's earthworthy.co. We, our email is hello at earthworthy.co. So it's all nice and simple. But um, yeah, there's heaps of inf information there for our product range and also our custom orders. And um, yep. yeah, we've got a really great, one of our first blogs has a really great overview of the Earthworthy story. So that's worth a read as well. But um, yeah, Hannah and I, always happy to hear from people. So obviously awesome. on all the socials, so whatever's the easiest way to connect, we'll, we're probably there. Well, thank you, Jess and Hannah. Thank you so much for joining me today. Well done and congratulations for weathering the storm of COVID in, uh, and keeping a supply chain going to the other side of the world, literally all for all of that. And uh, I think we're hitting some calm waters now where you guys can really make some difference. So congratulations again and thank you for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Back to Giles again for my top takeouts. So Bangladesh is absolutely the home of jute. The grasses that form the fibre grow in the myriad of waterways throughout the country 
And as a fast growing plant, it's a fantastic 100% sustainable carbon trap. It's strong and durable, making it perfect for bags and rugs and things like that. And of course, completely home compostable at the end of life. Not only is jute super sustainable, but the way Earthworthy's products are made is ultra low impact, including things like hand loom and hand printing. So if you've been on the hunt for a partner to help you with any of the products that we've been speaking about in today's show, I do highly recommend you check out what Earthworthy can arrange for you. What a beautiful story that adds to your overall brand messaging. So I hope you enjoyed today hearing from Jess and Hannah. Head over to earthworthy.co and check them out. I'll be back with you next week with more stories from the world of sustainable e-commerce. So until then, keep building your brand for a healthier planet.